Welcome to the Jesus Famous Youth Teachings Podcast. Our vision is to see Jesus famous in the lives of the youth of our church. We want to see youth have opportunities for them to come to know Jesus in a complete and whole way and be united together in love, and most importantly, strengthened in the moments of discouragement. Jesus Famous Youth meets on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. and has a middle school program available on Sundays at 11 a.m. Now, let's get into our teaching. Well, everybody, this is May. She's amazing. She's not nervous at all. No. <laughs> so she's going to read these couple verses from chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. Go ahead and follow along, guys. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, you may be, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Hmm. Father, we do. We come before you. And we thank you for the victory we have in you, Jesus. We thank you that as we read uh, just a small scripture like this, we read this small letter that you wanted the church in Smyrna to hear and receive. God, that we can take it and we can, we can see just your words of courage, your words of just victory, God. Help us to receive that tonight. Thank you for our May. We pray that you would continue to build her and grow her as a young woman that is called into your, your hands and into your ministry, Lord, as she is used and as she chooses to be available to you in her life. God, thank you for her courage to even come up here and read this tonight. And thank you for just the encouragement she brings me every Sunday as she answers those Bible questions. So, Father, we give you tonight. Spirit, I pray that you would be in our midst, that you would... Um, break hearts tonight. You would stretch us. You would move in us, God. Um, you would not let us sit comfortably in our faith, but you would challenge us into this calling, this great calling you have before us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, May. Appreciate it. Woohoo! Be excited. Like, act excited. <laughs> Thank you, Mika. I'm glad, buddy. I'm glad. All right. So cruising through the book of Revelation, or at least these letters in chapter 2 and 3 tonight, verses 8 through 11, where we are going into the letter to the church of Smyrna. Now, my title of this message tonight, Do Not Let Fear Consume You. If you were listening along as Amay was reading, uh, we see these words of encouragement, these, these daunting words from Jesus that there is there is extreme tribulation coming, Smyrna. There is extreme tribulation and trials coming, but, but behold, like I am with you. Behold that you can be courageous. You can go into this battle. You can fight this war with me by your side, with me supporting you, and basically me having your back. And I don't know, I was just so encouraged in reading through these letters, uh, and spe- specifically to the church of Smyrna, because they were just given really this, this place of, of permission to fight, permission to fight. There's not any huge rebukes against the church in Smyrna, but just this sense of you are given permission to stand and hold fast. 
And this encourages me because the world that we live in right now where it just seems there's so much against my faith, there is so much against what I believe, what I hold as, as moral truths, as biblical truths, there's so much attack against it. You read a letter like this that was, again, written 2,000 years ago, and yet here we are today, and this can encourage us. No, you have permission by God Almighty, by this vision of Jesus with the flaming eyes and the double-edged sword and the glory behind him with the power of his right hand holding us he gives us permission to hold fast, to, to fight the battle before us for his kingdom, to be kingdom workers, to not just be corpses that float down river with the rest of the corpses, but to be one that fights against the stream of our culture. What a cool thing, you guys. What a cool saying. I know it's visual, huh? <laughs> Bear's like, whoa. <laughs> and so logically, logically, with a, with a letter like this, with a power like that, that brings us, logically, brings us to Batman. <laughs> brings us to Batman. Now, <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. And I'm going to prove tonight. That's okay. You can disagree. It's okay. You can disagree. I'm not comparing God to Batman. I'm not comparing God to Batman. Listen. I'm not comparing God to Batman, but I am going to use Batman as an example to us for what he he does stand for the way that he fights, what he, the way that he, he attacks, the way that he holds fast to his convictions. Now, I'm not saying Batman's antiquated view of justice matches ours, but what I'm saying is he is convicted, and what he is is what he is, and so he stands for it. Okay? Now, I am not arguing that, ba- that Batman is a superhero. He has no superpowers. Well, okay, okay, I know. You're right, all right, all right. Hero, you're right. Now, now, if we're defining a superhero by having superpowers, like a meta power, right? An above human power, okay? Now, he is a hero, no doubt, right? He, is, he can even be defined, he can be defined as an anti-hero, right? The way that he reacts, depending what phase of the comics you're reading. Okay, come back to me. Depending what phase of the comics or who he is, right? Um, what author is, is describing him in what phase of life, how... You know, whether he's more vicious at certain times than others. But, and so I'm not saying he's a superhero. I'm not saying he's a superhero, Terry. But I am going to prove that he is the best. Listen, I'm going to prove that he's the best, okay? Now, this isn't a Marvel DC argument, okay? Now follow along. I will never do this again if you guys don't shut up. (laughs) No, no. So I'm going to, to lay an argument for you, okay? Now, Let's just, let's just look at this for a minute. Now, I'm not saying he's a superhero, but I am saying that he takes on metahumans all the time, right? Metahumans, people with superpowers, not just, I mean, the Joker is a, is a wicked guy, right? If you ever read the comics, not just the movie, not like Jack Nicholson with face paint on, but like the comics, Joker's wicked, but he fights metahumans all the time. And he doesn't just beat them, but he leaves them with fear in their hearts. There, there's a scar, an internal emotional scar that he leaves on these metahumans. So he, he takes them, he beats them, and he leaves them emotionally wounded like little children, okay? okay? Number two, he could acquire superpowers if he wanted to, all right? There are times in the comics where he literally acquired every single one of the Green Lantern Corps colors that, that line up with the Green Lantern powers. He acquired every single one of the rings. There was a time, actually, that he attained Godhood. He was called the God of Wisdom. He knew everything, but yet he gave these things up to continue to be Batman. He was so convicted to be the man, the, the, in a sense, the legend that he had created, that he was willing to, to give up power, prestige, this, this almightiness to continue to be the bat. 
All right, number three, has a contingency plan to take out every super-powered hero just in case they ever go bad. Batman literally has a plan for every single super-powered hero that if they ever go bad, if they ever go wicked, he can take them out. Right? This is seen throughout the comics. If you read Frank Miller's 1985, The Dark Knight, the real Dark Knight, not Ben Stiller or Ben, uh, ben Affleck's Dark Knight, but the real one, he, he could have killed Superman if he desired to, but he chose just to weaken him, beat the living tar out of him, and remind him who's boss. Okay? So now this is Batman, right? This is what I'm saying. Now I'm not saying he's a superhero, but I am saying that he's the best. Now, Josh, what does this have to do with the church in Smyrna, right? <laughs> now, I would probably be considered a disciple of Batman as much as I've read about him. Um, and I'm just letting you in on something right now, guys. This is a bit of Josh Shively. Um, I basically have memorized most of the Mar Marvel Almanac, and I know way too much about comics. This is a little bit of the secret Josh, okay? So I probably would be considered a disciple of Batman um, <laughs> but what does it have to do with this? What does it have to do with all this? Now, let me bring it home, okay? See, Batman is a human. Every day he has to make a choice to walk in courage and boldness, fighting against his own desires, the evils of others, and the fatigue of battle. Every day, because he is human, he has to choose to stay in the battle. He has to choose to stay in the fight that he has chosen, that he has put himself in, whether it was the circumstances from him being a kid and watching his parents be murdered in front of him, the circumstances of life and training under, under Ra's al Ghul and the, the, the League of Shadows. The fact is he has chosen a path, and day in and day out, he has to choose to walk in that with boldness and courage, fight against his own desires, even the evils of others, he would even probably argue the evils of himself and the fatigues of battle. See, every day we as Christians must choose to wage war against the flesh, against Satan, and against the world, never growing weary from the daily battles, choosing to be courageous and not cowardice. See, and just like Batman, the senses you and I have to choose every day. We fight against not the Joker or Clayface or Bane, but what we fight against, you guys, is the flesh. Our own desires, our own sinful desires to, to, to just please self. We fight against Satan, a demonic realm. I'm not saying Satan has specifically attacked you. You're not that important. I'm not that important that Satan would attack us. But I do believe there's a demonic realm out there that would gladly cripple you. If you choose to be in the battle for Jesus, you choose to be in the battle for God, that the enemy, Satan, this demonic realm, would gladly cripple you by, by, by messing with your mind, by making you believe secular thoughts and secular ways that are against the Bible, and ultimately then the world. This world that, that is, is literally against what we believe. A world power that literally is against what we stand for as Christians. See, Batman's story, or we would say his testimony, built in him a sense of justice that propelled him into becoming who he is. See, what he went through as a child and as he was raised, it propelled him to be the bat. Right? It propelled him to be this, this force for justice, the darkness, the night, right? vengeance in a sense. And see, our testimony, aligned with God's will, sets us on a path of purpose and kingdom work. See, as God calls out to the church in Smyrna, and then I bring us to this Batman, right, this character, that it calls to us that your testimony, who you are, aligned with God's will for your life, will propel you down the path of becoming the man or woman that God is calling you to be. Not what the world is defining you as or saying you have to be defined as, but who God created you and is calling you to be. Third, you guys, Batman had to know and adopt the darkness, but never let it consume him, right? 
You merely adopted the night. I was born into it. Right? Like, come on now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the fact is, we as Christians must be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. Jesus actually says this in Matthew 10, 16. You as a young Christian need to be wise as serpents, but as gentle as doves in the world around you. And also he says, being in the world, but never letting it consume us. John 8, 18, 36, being in the world, but not of the world. See, just as, as Batman has to fight against the desire to finally break the Joker's neck, to finally cross that line and destroy the enemies that have destroyed, literally filled gra- like, like acres of graveyards. He has to fight against that. You and I have to step into this world, be wise, be loving, but yet at the same time, never let it consume us. We have to be willing to be in it, breathe in that secular society and be even consumed by it at times, but never let it change us. Never let it conform us, but yet be transformed by the renewing of our mind, which is by the word of God, you guys. So this is why I bring Batman up in this. This is why my heart is that that you would understand that this is a battle. God is preparing you to step into this war, to to put you on a path of purpose and kingdom-minded, and ultimately just to prove that the bat is the best, all right? Therefore, the bat is the best. I just got to say, I'm not saying he's a superhero, but I'm saying he's the best, okay? I'm saying he's the best. But really, you guys, Jesus is the best. Come on now. Jesus is the best, yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus saved the entire world by sacrificing himself. And even though these superheroes that we read about and love can sacrifice themselves over and over again in the comics, shh, no one can do it like Jesus. No one can do it like Jesus. Okay. Let's get to the text, Romans chapter 2, verse 8. Now that I've set the premise there, right, of Bat being awesome, but Jesus being the best. Romans 8, or 2, verses 8 says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Now remember, every letter is started with this angel, which means messenger. It could be pastor, um, or it could be angel. It could be like a literal angel that was put over to protect and walk with and guide the Christians in Smyrna, or it could mean pastor, okay? It could mean men, then women that are literally giving of the message of Jesus, okay? But the words of the first and last who died and came to life. With every start of this letter, we see a description of Jesus. We see a description of Jesus, who he is, not just from the vision that John received at the beginning of Romans, or Revelation chapter 1, but, but a de- continued defin- definition to, to help build the foundation of who Jesus is in your walk. Right? Every step we take, every one of these letters gives us another, another opening of, of who Jesus is, his greatness, his glory, his wonder. And this one, the words, so Jesus' words, the first and the last who died and came to life. He's always been always will be. He actually died a physical death and yet came back to life. And so my first point is Jesus has seen it all, been through it all, and watched it all end. Nothing scares him. There's nothing that has ever happened. The Holocaust did not surprise Jesus nor scare him. The, the killing fields of Somalia, you guys, the, the, literally the atrocities of the 21st century um, of communism and socialism have, and Marxism does not scare nor intimidate our Jesus. Okay? And yet, because he has seen it all, and he will continue to see it all, and that should bring you and I comfort. Have you guys ever watched uh, a homeless person and their dog? Right? Have you ever watched a homeless person's dog before? Literally nothing surprises that dog. A car could backfire. Somebody could be yelling, right? Like, there could be a car crash, and that dog is, is just cool as ice. 
because that dog has seen everything. It's smelt everything. There's nothing that's going to surprise. It's not skittish. It doesn't spend its time all pampered and primmed with soft little paws in a house with plush carpet, right? It spends its time outside amidst the environment, amidst the people. This is Jesus. He spends his time amidst the Christians, amidst people. He is involved with us. So nothing we can do, none of the atrocities or the deprivations of our own heart can change who he is. And so, you guys, we can rest that our Savior knows us more deeply than anyone else and yet still loves us. See, I don't think this can sink in. It's hard for us to get this to sink in, you guys, the, the true depravity of our own hearts. Like, if you really go deep in the things that you've thought and the visions that you've had and the, the fantasies that you've allowed to ruminate and, and ferment in your mind, the things that you will never tell anybody, the things that you don't even want to sit and mutter yourselves, you guys see, Jesus knows those things. He knows them, and he knows them intimately because he created you. He was the first. He's known you since the beginning of eternity. He sees you here, and he knows you all the way into the eternity like future when you are perfected, when you are in eternity, and he sees all the, the, the sin and brokenness in between, and yet he still loves us, and this should bring us such rest. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 through 10 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. See, the Lord knows our hearts. He tests our minds. And see, young Christians, this should bring you courage because what this does is this brings you to a place of saying, Lord, I know I'm wicked. I know I'm depraved. I know I'm broken. But you have saved me. You have covered me. You have given me righteousness. I am blessed by you. I am saved by you. And so now every good thought that I have, every thought of kingdom-mindedness, every thought of blessing others, of lifting others up above myself, you see those things, Jesus. You test those things, and you reward me for them. You lift me up in these. See, even with God knowing us as deeply as he does, he sent himself to be our covering, our healer, our redeemer. What a cool thought. And see, this is the encouragement that he gives the church in Smyrna. This is the start of the encouragement. That him who was first and last had died and rose again, he knows you. He covers you. He has healed you. And he has redeemed you. Like what? I mean, honestly, what a pep talk. What a pep talk. If you were ready to go into a battle with a flaming sword against an army of demons and Jesus gave you this pep talk, you'd be like, let's go right now. Let's take this W. We are going for it, right? Did I say it wrong? <laughs> how, how do you say it? Let's take this win. See, this is what I get for trying to be cool. I'll just stick to my comics, and you can all judge me for it. Okay. <laughs> so this is the start of the letter. This is the start of the letter. This encouragement. He continues on now in uh, verse 9 by saying, I know your tribulations and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He says, I know the tribulations that you're going through. And so, see, what Jesus wants them to understand, I believe he wants us to understand, is that when we look at the world around us, when we look at, at what we're up against, the battle that we're in, sometimes we tend to have an us versus them mentality. Like if an atheist was standing up here with me and we were in a debate, we would, we would get in a frenzy pretty quickly of like Josh versus him, the Christian versus the atheist, right? Theology versus stupidity. No, I'm teasing. But like the idea would be, listen, the idea, we would get in this frenzy really quick. We tend to. But see, it's not an us versus them. It's a spiritual battle. It's us for them. 
It's us for the world around us that, that we would not conform, that we would be different, that we would call them to a place of salvation, that our lives would be so attractive to them, that our faith would be so appetizing to them that they, would, they, they couldn't help but want to taste it, to want to partake. And so what this does for us is this makes, makes our perspective or our perspective and our worldview, it has to be bigger than ourselves. Because when it's right here in front of us, when our perspective is so close to our face, we can't see the full picture. We can't see what God is doing. See, in so much that he says, I know the tribulations, your poverty. But see, the fact is like you are actually rich. You have more than, than, than all of Smyrna has because you have me, Jesus is saying. There's this, this, he says, the synagogue of Satan. There's probably some type of sect of Jews, some type of synagogue in this place that was really persecuting and attacking the church in Smyrna, claiming righteousness or claiming a religiosity or self-righteousness. And Jesus is saying, no, they're not for me. They're for Satan, actually. They're for the, they're for the one that is against me. Now, see, that's how we need to perceive the world is that they are, they are naturally going to fight against what we believe. It shouldn't surprise us, you guys, that when, when, when we say abortion is wrong, that the world would say women rights. When we say that, that there is a man, that God created men and women, and the world says, no, there's multiple genders. Right? When we say that, that this is wrong and this is right, and they say, no, that's actually right and this is wrong. See, we shouldn't be surprised when the world contradicts us, when secular society comes up against us because they don't understand that they are not working for like God, basically, but they are working for Satan. Their theology is based in a humanistic type reality that literally focuses on self, builds self up. What can I obtain? What can I get? How do I want to feel? Rather than laying ourselves down saying, God, you are creator of all things. What are you calling me to do? See, when our perspective is an us versus them, we get all, we get all wonky, guys. Because then we get to the point of like, man, I, I'm, getting, I'm in tribulation. I, I'm in poverty. I'm getting beaten down. God, why aren't you here? God, why aren't you rescuing me? God, why aren't you speaking to me? God, have you abandoned me? When the fact is, as he says to the church in Smyrna here, yeah, I know what you're going through. I know your poverty. I know how much life is hurting right now. But ultimately, you are rich. And, and those people that are persecuting you, the synagogue of Satan, I know them too. I know them too. And see, we know that our God's heart is to reach them. We know our God's heart is to pluck them out of, of, of Satan's army, in essence, of, of literally a path to hell and bring them to a, plat, a path of life. See, we serve a kingdom of God that is contrary to the world's dominion. We have to get this. This has to be a foundational pillar in your guys' life. The kingdom you guys serve has no place in the world's dominion. When you find yourself in a place of conforming and looking like the world, watch out. Your faith is going to suffer. Your love for God is going to suffer. God's kingdom in, is, is basically in reverse, you guys, and rewards those who serve it in a different way. God's kingdom is literally in reverse from what the world says the way it should be. When we look weak for leaning on faith, we are actually made strong by our faith. When the world says your faith is weak or it's a crutch, we can say, no, I'm actually made strong because I have faith. When we are poor and brought low by the world standard, God pours on us spiritual fruit and raises us up. We walk with true peace. We walk with true joy. When the world spends billions of dollars to find peace, to find joy, we find it in Christ for free. When the world calls you foolish, we see the darkness 
they stumble over in their wisdom. See, when the world calls you foolish for your faith, what we, what we see is them walking in darkness. We see them stumbling. We see a foolishness that they call wisdom, and yet we get to stand here in the light of Jesus and point out, say, no, you're stumbling for this reason. You're stumbling because of this sin in your life, because this chain, because you're enslaved to this thing. And yet they can't see it because they're in darkness. See, by calling out sin, when we call out sin in a friend's life, when we call out sin in each other's life, we are called unloving. How dare you call out my, my sin? How dare you judge me? You need to accept every part of me or else you reject all of me, the world would say. But see, but truly, we are most loving because we want all to know the salvation of Jesus. See, we call out sin, Christians. We call things wrong because we, we, we actually want to love. Us calling out people's sin and brokenness is actually showing love. Because ultimately, we want them to see their depravity. We want them to see their brokenness so that they, in, in just a place of brokenness, in a place of truly knowing that they can't make it to God, desire salvation. Desire Jesus. See, we have to come to this place again where, where our faith, the kingdom that we serve in, Jesus' kingdom, is going to continually be in, contra, in contradiction with the world's dominion and the world's kingdom, guys. But yet we have to walk in faith knowing that all these things that we do, all these things that we go through, is, is for the glory of God. And he will lift us up. Continuing on, Revelation 10, or 2 verse 10 says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. As Jesus continues to encourage and lift up this church in Smyrna, you guys, what he's bringing them to is this, and this is one of the theology, or the like, kind of eschatology and the study of end time questions. Now, was this an actual church in Smyrna, or was this a, a time of church history? Because as Jesus says here, you know, that, that some of you will be thrown into prison, you'll be kept for 10 days, and you will have tribulation. Um, you know, ultimately, I'm not too worried about that right now. Ultimately, Jesus is still speaking to Christians, whether it was a specific church in Asia or to a time period of the church. I still think it speaks to us because what Jesus is doing is he's reminding us that no matter how dark the storm of life gets, always fight to get to the light. No matter how dark the world gets around you, no matter how dark the situation seems, we should always fight to get to the light. It's as if you're in a place of drowning. It's in a, in a place, I don't know if you've ever been in like a pool where there's a lot of kids and you're playing some type of game and it's like you get dunked and then you try to come up for air and you get dunked again and like you're fighting, right? You're fighting to like get a breath. See, this should be our, our heart when, when we see how dark the world is and it continues to get darker as it rejects Jesus. As it rejects a biblical worldview, the world will continue to look darker to us and, and it will be. We should continue to fight that much harder for the light. John 8, 12 says, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, we call out darkness. Again, we call out sin and we walk in the light because we know it's the true light. Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. He's comparing himself to the sun. <laughs> like the sun lights up half the, 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 the hemisphere of the, the earth at a time, it completely illuminates. You can't hide from it. And Jesus is saying, I am this light. 
Like I shine so bright that I will show everything that needs to be shown. And those that walk with me, those that are called to me, those who follow after me, will live in this light, will walk in this light. See, you and I as Christians live within this light. You guys, Jesus' light, it illuminates like nothing else, revealing the purpose, truth, and plan of God to us. See, we as Christians don't need to walk in a place of, of um, naiveness. We don't have to walk in a place of foolishness. That's why, I mean, as I get older, I may be that much more harsher on some of you young men when I see foolishness come out of you, when I see you act like a child, when I see you act immaturely or, or out of character or integrity, because it's, you, are, you are a Christian. You are called to be like Christ. You are not called to walk as, a, as an infant anymore. Or as a foolish child, you are called to walk in wisdom and integrity and character. You are called to walk in truth. God has a plan and a purpose for you. And if you call yourself a Christian, you are walking in his light, and he illuminates that plan for you. Young women, you're not released from that either. <laughs> See, we are, as Christians, and this analogy, I've always loved this, we are called to be lighthouses. Now, follow along with me real quick, you guys. See, lighthouses shine in any condition, whether it's day, night, foggy, storms, thunder, lightning, rain, hail, snow. A lighthouse's job is to shine. That's what it does. It just keeps shining the light. No matter what circumstances come around it, no matter what hits it, no matter what crashes against it, it shines the light. See, lighthouses are steadfast, immovable, and courageous against the waves. A lighthouse isn't on wheels. It doesn't go chasing after every type of you know, bandwagon that comes along. No, it stays immovable. It stays steadfast. It stays courageous. And when those waves crash against it, it does not move. Number three, a lighthouse warns others about the dangers ahead and gives them a clear and safe route. See, lighthouse doesn't just stand there courageous and steadfast. It doesn't just shine a light, but it, its purpose is to show others that there is danger here. This path is right. Stay away from this. Stay away from this. See, what I love about a lighthouse is it sits where there's rocks. It Basically, if you're a ship and you see the lighthouse, you're actually supposed to go away from it. You're supposed to cruise away from it because that means if there's a light there, there's rocks there. See, you guys, Christians, we're called to be in the mess of it. Jesus was constantly in this tension point. He's constantly in this place of, just, of tension between, between the religious leaders and the Christians, between the broken and those that would, would call out sin. He was in this place of tension. He wasn't afraid to talk to the prostitutes. He wasn't afraid to talk to the down and out, the lady at the well who had multiple husbands, the demonic people. Like He wasn't afraid to step into that to show others. And see, Christians, we need to stop being weak. We need to be willing to step into those places of tension and show others that there's danger here. Be the lighthouse. Shine the light. Walk like Jesus. Last verse here, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Just like the last letter, just like the next one, it says he who has an ear. How many of you here have one ear? How many have two? Then you better keep listening, right? You better listen double here, right? That's basically what he's saying. He who has an ear, better listen. If you got two ears, you better listen that much more to the, what the Spirit says to the churches, to us. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now this brings us to listen up. You will overcome and be victorious in Jesus. This needs to show you, this needs to just imprint or tattoo on your heart that you will have victory in Jesus. No matter what's happened to you in your life so far, no matter what will happen to you in your life, no matter what choices you make, 
no matter what consequences you have to deal with, whether ones that people make that affect you or the ones that you make, if you walk in Jesus, you guys, you will have victory one day. It may not be this life. Victory may not happen in this life. You may walk through this life with a really deep wound and, and always ask God, why? Why do I have to feel this? Why do I have to be broken with this? Why does this hurt so much? But see, the fact is, guys, what we have to understand is that one day we will have victory. And as Jesus says here, that you won't be hurt by the second death, meaning your eternity is sealed. All will be made right. Whatever type of wound you incurred on this planet, in this plane, in this reality, whatever someone did to you, there may never be justice right here and now in this life, but there will be justice one day. And if you walk in Jesus, you will have victory and all will be made right, you guys. See, this life is not the end game, but it does matter. See, as Christians, we get the hope, we get the peace that this life is not it. That we get eternity with Jesus after this. That if we die tonight, we get eternity with Jesus. And the beautiful thing about that is that it, it, it takes so much pressure off of us to get it right the first time. To, to like Everything that we do right here has to be perfect when the thing is, no, Jesus, his sacrifice made us right. So that we can live this life for him. But you guys, what this needs to remind us also is that this life does matter. The choices we make in this life do matter. Romans 2 verses, uh, Romans 2 verses 6 through 8 says, He will render to each one according to his works. To those who be by patience and uh, well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. See, the Bible teaches it over and over again, you guys. We get one life to live. We really do. We can't get away from this truth. You have one life to live. And this life, the biggest question you can answer is, who is Jesus to you? That is the biggest question. Not who you'll marry, not how many kids you'll have, not if you voted Republican or Democrat. It doesn't matter. What matters is, who is Jesus to you? And when you stand before God Almighty, that's the one question that will matter. And you guys, those that seek out that honor and that immortality in this life, there's a reward. There's a reward in heaven. I don't know what that looks like. I, I just want a big oak tree with a bunch of grizzly bears around me, like up in the woods. That's all I want. That's all I want in heaven. And Jesus, just come visit me every once in a while, right? Maybe a cat. I'll have to take a little cabin. Um, but see, the thing is, guys, for those that seek out wickedness, those that seek out this life saying, God, I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with you in this life, God. I got it. I can take care of myself. I can do my own thing. Then God says here, then, then after this life, there's wrath, there's fury. Because for the rest of eternity, you're going to be in a place where you are now completely and utterly separated from God. God is a gentleman. God gives us free will. Why would he make someone who spends their life saying, God, I don't want you, why would he then make them be in his presence? Why would he force them? That's not our God. That's not the way he works. So those that say in this life, God, I don't want you. I don't need you. He says, okay, then you can go into eternity without me. And you will have wrath and fury because you are, you're not with me. And you finally realize the lack of peace. Now, applications I got for you guys tonight. First one, remember how big your God is and how much he has your back. Like as life crashes against you, as, as the life that you guys are growing up in just keeps getting harder and harder to stand for truth. To stand for what's right, you guys. Remember that your God is really, really big. Okay? He's bigger than the boogeyman and the monsters on TV. God is bigger. <laughs> there you go. Um, and he's got your back, you guys. Your God has your back. So when you're forced or, or put in those places to have to stand for truth, choose to stand for truth because God has you. 
Number two, your daily actions affect more than just you. Make choices that build God's kingdom, love, and direct others to Jesus, and show others what a true Christian is. See, daily we have that choice to, to, to fight against the flesh, Satan, and the world, and to live for God in a place where we're building God's kingdom rather than our own, where our love for others is, is, is so much like Jesus that, that people want to know this Jesus that we serve, and that we show others what a true Christian is, that our lives represent whatever, whatever type of Bible that you're representing to the world around you is an accurate one. Number three, you guys, be a lighthouse. Be steadfast on the rock, right? Be steadfast on Jesus. Shine light no matter what, time, what, what, what season, no matter what happens, and direct people to the right path, you guys. And then number four, Jesus promises us a reward for the battles we fight in this life. Right? We, we are promised rewards for the battles that we fight in this life, you guys. And think of it like a battle. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I, when I struggle with sin, when my mind wanders, you guys, when there's real spiritual attack happening, when there's real things that are around us that, that hurt and that people make these horrible decisions, when I watch a student just absolutely veer off and, and, and live for the world, you guys, when a family member wounds us, See, we have a choice to become bitter and angry and vengeful and in this place of just like, nah, screw them, I'm done. Or we can be in this place of like, no, I'm going to fight for them. I'm going to be in a battle for them. And then lastly, daily be courageous against the flesh, the devil, and the world. Choose to daily be courageous, okay? Choose to fight against the flesh, the devil, and the world. So Father, I praise you that you're good, that you're gracious to us. Thank you so much for just how you're moving in us each and every day. I ask that these scriptures tonight, these, these calling, this encouragement that you gave the church in Smyrna would, would speak to us mightily tonight, Lord. Let small group time just be blessed, um, and Lord, we just give it to you in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you at Youth Group on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. If you'd like more information about JFY or have a question, reach out to us at joshuas at calvary.com or DM us on Instagram at ymcalvary.com.